The Washington Post reported this story, and I want to share it with you. At 7.51 a.m. on January 12, 2007, the musician picked up his violin outside the metro in Washington, D.C. During the next 45 minutes, the man wearing jeans and a long-sleeved T-shirt began to play six classical pieces of music to no one in particular. As he performed, more than a thousand people went by walking oblivious to the music. Most probably assumed that he was just another street musician seeking the charity of commuters. A few stopped, but most hurried on to their jobs in the federal bureaucracy, absorbed with their own concerns. Forty-three minutes later, the man had earned just over $32 in donations from those who were walking by. But this musician was no ordinary fiddler, and his instrument no common violin. He was the world-renowned Joshua Bell, recognized as one of the great musical artists of his generation. An average seat ticket to a sold-out Bell concert at Boston Symphony Hall just a few days earlier cost over $100. And yet this morning, he was offering his artistry for free, playing a priceless instrument that was handcrafted in 1713. J.T. Tillman is reported to be a computer specialist for the Department of Housing and Urban Development. He planned to give Bell a couple dollars as he walked by and heard the music, but he had spent all his cash he had that day on the lottery. As one questioned him, and he began to realize that he stiffed a world-renowned musician. He said, I had no idea. I just thought it was some guy playing music. He asked, will I have a chance to hear him again? The person in the know said, sure, but you're going to pay a lot for it next time. It's interesting the things that we see in the story that's reported by Washington Post. I think Hollywood got a hold of this and made a movie about it as well. But we can walk by and not quite see and notice who it is that's right before us. It was a number of years ago I was in the foyer of the church I was serving at that time, and in walked a very, very tall man who had some questions. The receptionist didn't have the answers for them, and so they called me, and I came out to answer some of his questions about the building and and some very interesting particulars. I was kind of confused why. I tried to be helpful. I answered his questions, but I went on about my day because I was pretty busy. A little bit later on at lunch, the buzz was all around the staff at the church. They said, did you see him? Did you get to meet him? And I said, who are you talking about? They said, well, Michael Red was in the building. I said, Michael, who? Who who am I supposed to know about? They said, the NBA All-Star. You you mean there was an NBA All-Star here in the building? Well, yeah. They said, he came in and somebody answered his questions and, and didn't introduce us to him. And the rest of the staff didn't get to meet him. And I said, well, I think that was me and I didn't know who he was. You can be talking to somebody that should have some importance to you, but if you're not sure who they are or why they're significant, you can miss it all together. People are fascinated with Jesus. Huge numbers in our culture went to see the Passion of Christ. Many went to go see the Da Vinci Code. This testifies to our culture's interest, whether it is fact or fiction about Jesus. They have some interest, and they will draw to give some attention to who he is. This has sparked a plethora of family and faith-driven films, some fact, some fiction, some helpful, some very unhelpful. But it's 
easy for people to walk by, around, and see Jesus, but many don't quite catch who he really is. The Library of Congress tells us that there's over 17,000 books on record right now with Jesus in the title somehow, and there are many, many more churned out every single month. And yet thousands of people pass by, just like the D.C. Metro, pass by Jesus not quite catching who he really is. We risk missing the awesome beauty in the middle of our daily pursuits. Despite the countless words written about the man from Galilee, we too can miss who he is. Sometimes we don't see Jesus just like the disciples. We're right up with him but didn't quite catch who he really was. Don't turn, but just listen to this passage of Scripture that should seem familiar to you when you hear it. And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. They went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? The identity of Jesus, though he was right there with them, they were followers of him, it seemed as if it was hidden to them. They didn't quite catch who he really was. See, Jesus... And the crowds has been available, often right up with the disciples he was available to them, but with downcast eyes they didn't quite see who he was. We don't want to miss who Jesus is, and how, we don't want to miss what's important to him, so how can we not miss it? Jesus has clearly told us in his word who he is and what's important to him, but just knowing what he has said and doing it are two different things. We can know what he has told us, how to live as a disciple, but yet consistently it's challenging for many of us to turn the other cheek, to give to the one in need, to find ourselves going the second mile. We can know these answers, but to know the one who gives the answer and to follow him is quite different. I think the problem that we have in the church is we have embraced a Jesus light image. Hearing only what we want to hear, having become deaf to the richer parts of the symphony that he plays of his great love, we have averted our gaze from the uncontrollable, unpredictable Christ of the Gospels in favor of a Sunday school flannel graph cartoonish picture of Jesus holding a cuddly lamb. And we refuse any other depiction of Christ that the Gospels give us, as well as that calm and peaceful image. Yet we've got to get closer to see who Jesus is, or we might commit the same error and be right up with him, even singing his praises and miss his presence, miss who he is today in our life. The closer we get, we have to grasp this fundamental but little noted fact about the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus, everywhere he went, he engaged his listeners, those who were his friends and those who were his foes. He, he engaged them. He didn't just teach them. He didn't just command them. But he also, often, easy for me to say, isn't it? Often, he engaged them with a question, starting a conversation. 
I can tell you a command, and you can sit there and think about if you're going to do it or not. I can teach you some principle or precept, and you can take it in. But if I ask you a question and wait, it elicits, it demands a response, and Jesus would do this. We're going to look this morning and for the next, this week and next week on the red letter questions. But for us to understand the significance of what Jesus did, we need to see that this still has power today. You didn't expect that I was going to ask you a question today, did you? Well, good, because I'm not. I'm going to ask someone over here and embarrass them. Now, I can talk all the time and you can just hear it, but if I ask you a question and expect a response, the level of participation increases. For some, the level of anxiety may increase. For some, the level of frustration and stubbornness may increase. But a question still has the same principles today as it did then. It requires some kind of answer. If I was to ask you, anybody in these two rows, what my name is, what what would you say? Pastor Brady, someone said Joshua. That's creative, I think. That's... You could say that. That's wrong. But I like Joshua. That's a good name. Brady. I ask a question, and then I wait for a response. If I would ask you what, what you think, I've said it a couple times, what my favorite topping on pizza is, anybody would know. Olives, green olives, wonderful. I thought we were going to have to have pizza next week to make sure you never forget. I ask a question, and it demands a response. I could ask questions that, that you wouldn't have any idea. Maybe you could guess, what kind of shampoo do I use? None. None. Exactly. We know each other better than I thought. When, when Jesus asks a question, he says, yes, I have powerful truths to teach you. Yes, I have commands. But wake up, listeners, friend and foe. I want you to respond to what I've asked you. A number of years ago, I was reading through the New Testament, and it it caught me in an interesting way to see these red-letter questions, the questions that Jesus asked. I think those would be important questions for us to look at. Today, I want us to follow that and, and find in the Gospels these questions that Jesus is asking. Jesus, this master teacher, asked probing questions, some to friends, some to foe, Some to skeptics, some to followers, some to seekers, some to those who betrayed him. And he's still asking questions today. He's not just presenting abstract theological truth today, friend. I believe he is calling the question to us to participate in a conversation with him. As we look at this series starting today, I want us to look at a couple questions that Jesus asked that have a similar theme, a similar topic. It's this topic or this theme of the question that Jesus asked is, Who am I? It's all over the Gospels. It's all over the New Testament. Who am I? Mark 8, 27. Who do people say that I am? Matthew and Mark and Luke all record this follow-up, but who do you say that I am? Often thought of as meek and mild, Jesus was intensely interested in what people thought of him. It wasn't this just false sense of humility. It wasn't this conceited approach that he was so stuck on himself he wanted to know what people thought about him. But he knew that how people responded to this question, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It would hold life and death for them. He knew it was important. When we look at these two questions, who do they and who do you say that I am, we read to see these are really questions of his identity. Jot that down. Questions of his identity. 
Listen to Matthew 21, 42. Also, we find similar in Mark 12, 10 through 11. Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builder has rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Have you not seen this? See, by referring to this ancient Hebrew text, Jesus was pointing to his foundational and much-anticipated role in the life of the people. Even though they opposed him, he was talking about the prophecies about himself. See, he was not a politically correct, quiet reformer. He was soon to topple the entire religious system that they had set up to put themselves at the top. He was causing all kinds of problems. See, who is this Jesus? First thing we can see about his identity, he is the Messiah that was prophesied about. He was the Messiah that was prophesied about. The one that the religious leaders had read about, but they had rejected him. And now he has been the cornerstone, and they have missed who he is. The one that God is going to build the church on, the one that God is going to give hope to all nations through Jesus, they rejected him. Who do you say that I am? Sure, we could answer this question today with some intellectual assent. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who died for my sins. Jesus is the one who had blonde hair, blue eyes, and holds a lamb and a cartoon figure on a flannel graph somewhere. But what if we would take the question as if Jesus was actually having a dialogue with us this morning, if Jesus would look you in the eyes and say, Who do you say that I am? I think few of us would would have the audacity to just ignore him and turn and walk away. We may be speechless, we may be short on words, but I think it would captivate us when the Lord would wait for a response from us. I believe that's what God wants to do today through his word. Is Jesus still marvelous in your eyes? Or do you and I walk by him every day, not noticing the master musician who he is, playing the symphony of love right before you and I and a mass of other people? Jesus is the cornerstone, but is he the one that you are building your life on? Who do you say he is? We've seen that Jesus has worked mighty miracles and the power through the Spirit, like healing the sick and casting out demons, but miracles don't force anybody to believe. You know, there's times in in my life, in my ministry, I just wish, I just thought, God, if if, if you would just split this altar in two, supernaturally come down and bust this altar, make it open up, and everybody would see this, no one would have doubt anymore. I mean, we couldn't keep people uh, away from this place. We wouldn't have enough seats for people to see this place. And though I I believe God will still do supernatural things, and it does have some effect on our faith, when I read Scripture and I see history in the church, God has done many miraculous things, and people begin to reason it away. Well, I think the humidity was a certain place, and maybe it was something from a lightning bolt, and, and maybe it really was a light bar that fell down. And we begin to rationalize and reason away everything. And so when we want to, to say, God, I, I need to see you, we miss out on who he is, not because he's not doing things, not because he hasn't shown some miraculous sign to us, but because we have missed them. We have not looked at what he has already given to us. Jesus says, who do you say that 
I am. Even the people who were there in the very trenches watching these miracles didn't quite get it. It was no guarantee that they would get their conclusions right about who Jesus was. Even the disciples didn't get it right all the time. So at several key junctures, Jesus would pause after a miracle, and it was almost as if he said, did you get it? Did you understand it? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I am about? Mark eight seventeen through 21, I think, is one of those moments. It's in your outline. Listen as I read. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread, Jesus asks. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Do you not yet understand? Much like the Israelites who grumbled despite the manna God provided during the Exodus 1,400 years earlier, the disciples doubted God's provision in Jesus. They doubted that Jesus could meet their very hunger needs. They didn't really know who he was. They didn't yet understand, at least it perceived that way, to Jesus. And he was asking these questions, do you not get who I am yet? You've seen me do many things, and yet you still wonder who will provide for you. That's the second thing, questions about his identity. He is the miraculous provider. Even after miracle upon miracle, the disciples appeared to miss who Jesus really was. They were in the presence of this miraculous provider, and in their time of need, they went to each other, and they didn't go to Jesus. How different are we? Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he the miraculous provider for you? If so, why do we live in fear? Why do we fret? If so, why do we pray last instead of praying first? Who do you say that Jesus is? I believe Jesus is leaning in closely to us this morning, church, and whispering to us, Who do you say that I am? Jesus has done many miracles in our midst. It's not the question if if Jesus is working. The question is if are we seeing him. D.L. Moody, a, 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 a fiery preacher of a number of decades ago, was reported and given credit for In his meetings, if someone would want to stand up and give a testimony, if they were giving testimony of what God had done and it was over seven days old, he would make them sit down. If they kept trying to talk, it's reported that sometimes he would stick his hand in their mouth. That's kind of rude and gross. His point was, God is moving and working every single day. If you can't praise him for something he's done this week, then you need to be quiet and start listening and looking. I don't know if I feel like sticking my hand in your mouth. I'm not sure if you brushed your teeth today. But I do think we could learn a bit from Moody's tenacity to say, God is doing something. Am I watching? Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you see him as your miraculous provider? The night that he was handed over to his enemies, Jesus gave his disciples some last-minute teaching and encouragement. He said to them that they were secure in God the Father's love. Here's his words. Let not your hearts be troubled, he said. Believe in God, believe also in me. And as if that wasn't clear enough, he goes on to say this. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him 
and you have seen him. And then I love this. Don't miss this. Philip expressed some profound confusion. Do you ever have profound confusion? I mean, you're not just trying to be ignorant. You're not just trying to be obtuse or, or dumb, but you're just profoundly confused. And Philip asks this question from profound confusion. He blurts out, Lord, show us the Father, and he is enough for us. This was too much for Jesus, apparently. You can almost hear the frustration in his words at that 11th hour when he responds to this. John 14, 9 and 10 is where we find this. Look in your outline. Read it as I read aloud. Read it in your mind. Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Lest us think that this word today of who is Jesus is for somebody who is outside the family of faith or someone who has just come to know Jesus in a few short days. This is for those who have been following him a long time. And I believe Jesus is saying to us, have you been with me so long and you still don't know who I am? That profound confusion that Philip was trying to say, just show me the Father. Uh, You know what? When we ask who is Jesus... We need to see that number three, his identity, he is the Son of God, one with the Father. For those of us who have been following God for a while, sometimes we say, I just need to see God today. I need to have him show up in a big way. I think Jesus would say to us, do you not get that I am with you? My spirit lives in you. The very spirit of God, the creator of the universe, is with you every single moment. You need to see me today? I think I understand when we phrase it that way. We need confirmation from him. We need wisdom from him. But God is real to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Not only do these questions of who do they say that I am and who do you say that I am ask about his identity, they're really questions about his authority as well. Listen as I quickly walk through Mark 2, the first couple of verses. Mark 2, verse 1, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Chapter 2, verse 3 of the Gospel of Mark. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was laying on. Verse 5 of chapter 2, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. I love this part of scripture. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then here's the question. When you think around Jesus, he will answer your thoughts. He can read your mind. Verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit what what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Mark chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it's in your outline, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or rise and take up your bed and walk? See, these teachers of the law, they were not only ticked off that Jesus was healing people, but they were really mad that he was forgiving sins. See, once again, they were around Jesus. They saw his works, but they did not see who he was. Who is Jesus? He has authority to heal and forgive sin. 
Friend, what part of Jesus' authority are you not embracing today? When the question is asked to us, who do you say that I am from Jesus himself, what part of his authority are you sidestepping, not embracing, ignoring today? The Pharisees struggled not with his ability to bring healing and wholeness. They struggled with his ability to forgive sin. I think we have that reversed. Many of us accept the authority that Jesus has to forgive our sin, but we think, Jesus, you can't do anything about my hurt, my pain, my habits, my hang-ups. You can't bring healing and wholeness into my life. What part of his authority are you not embracing? He has the authority to forgive us, yes. He also has the authority to heal and make us whole. These are not just questions about his identity. These are not just questions for us to ponder what he has done for us. It's also questions of his mission. Luke 12, 51. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? Jesus asked that question. Did you know that? Don't take my word for it. You may want to look in your Bible. Luke 12, 51. Do you think... That I have come to give peace on earth. I think if I was there, I'd say, well, sure, I think you will give peace on earth. Sometimes it, it comes across that way. Other times it comes across a, a different way, and, and we begin to miss what Jesus is all about. He has a mission, and what we think peace may be is not exactly the peace that he is talking about. We sentimentally call Jesus the Prince of Peace, and surely this is right and good because the Bible refers to him as the Prince of Peace. But it's not just any kind of peace, nor is it peace at any cost, nor is it peace at the exclusion of some other virtue such as justice, nor is it peace without limit in our fallen world. It's a peace that's different than what sometimes we would imagine. While certainly Jesus called peacemakers blessed, didn't they in fact sometimes face this impersonal turmoil in their life, even those peacemakers? Jesus is saying, when you follow me, it can bring an ugly division even in your family. Families created to love you and care and support for you. When you make a decision for Jesus, Jesus by his very nature can be divisive for those who trust him and those who don't. Think of a young man who would be raised in a secular home who comes to know Christ as Lord and Savior. He feels duty-bound with his new faith in Jesus to warn his parents of God's action on sin and how he deals and treats sin. As he shares the good news with him about forgiveness and when we repent and turn from our sins, he is met with raised eyebrows from his parents and stone-cold silence. Jesus asks us, who do you think that I am? The peace that I bring is not one that is always politically correct. It doesn't always make things comfortable. In fact, when I am the one leading in your life, there will be times when there's turmoil. There will be people who will reject you just because of me. Who do you say that I am? Think of a teenage girl who no longer is living for herself, who has found Christ, and she has felt led to turn from her ways of drinking parties and premarital sex and As she changes her behavior, her so-called friend she had before labels her as a prude and no longer wants to hang out with her. This peace that we think of that makes everybody agree with us or love us or like us is absent at that point. Who is Jesus? He has a mission. His question is asking us, do you know what I'm about? See, Jesus' mission is to seek and to save the lost. 
Despite all the praise that he receives from the people who don't follow him, Jesus at times is a divisive figure. Think of the leaders and pastors who are asked to pray at a political event that are asked not to use the name of Jesus Christ, but some vague, descript Lord or Almighty One. Who do you say that I am? Even calling on his very name can be divisive for some. Mark nine twelve, And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Jesus himself has come, number five, to suffer and die for us. Who is Jesus? It's a different picture than what Hollywood would want to give. It's a different picture than sometimes what we are comfortable accepting. He is one who has a mission, and at times it may bring division to the world and us. Jesus didn't come as one who was weak or one who was forced into this mission. Listen to Matthew 26, 53 and 54. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup of the Father has given me? See, Jesus, He was willing and chose to give His life for us. Jesus willingly gave his life for you. He had all authority, yet he still chose to pay the price. Who do you say that I am, Jesus asks. Who do they say that I am? How often do we feel that Jesus needs to be toned down? We ask questions about his identity and his mission for us, and we think, you know what? I just, if I'm going to share Jesus with people and I want them to know who he is, let's just give them a little bit of Jesus and not overwhelm them. Let's just cut out a little bit of the offensive parts of Jesus and just give them the sweet melody part and not the uh, counterpoint and not the dissonant harmonies and not the rhythm section and not the brass section, just the nice strings part of his message. Don't misunderstand me. If you want to edit out of your witness religion in the church at times that has been judgmental and, and false things out of God, then by all means take that junk out and don't attribute that to Jesus. But when we try to make Jesus palatable and make him comfortable and make it to where when Jesus' name is spoken, there's no consequence. There is a price. Who do you say that I am? When Jesus died on the cross for us, he knew his mission would cost him everything. When those said, Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are my Savior, he knew he was eliciting a response that would call a price to be paid. As we close this morning, we recognize he was willing to give his life for us. I want us to zero in on these two simple questions. One is, who do they say that I am? And I think Jesus wants to cut to the chase today and just go right to us. Who do you say that I am? Not who do your parents say that Jesus is. Not who does your spouse say that Jesus is. Not who do your friends say that Jesus is. But who do you personally today say that Jesus is? Before we answer, this is not who did we way back when say that Jesus was. But who do we right now currently say that Jesus is in our life? Not who do you think quietly in the recesses of your mind, privately you think this is who Jesus is, but who do you say with your words and your actions who Jesus is?
today. The great I am, the promised Savior, the miraculous provider, the Son of God who has all authority to forgive your sins and to heal and make you whole. The one who is on a mission to seek and save you, not just from something, but to something. He has paid a great price for you. He has willingly suffered for you. And he's asking you today, who do you say that I am? Today. Because how we answer this means everything of where we're going with him. Not just in heaven and hell, though that's true, but it means a whole lot for tomorrow. It means a whole lot for the next day. If he is the great provider, then I don't need to worry and fret. If he is the king of kings and lord of lords, then he has enough resources to take care of me. If he is the one who is all-knowing, I don't have to know everything. I just need to know the one who does. Or we like Philip. Oh, just show us God, Jesus. Have you been following me so long that you do not know that I am in him and he is in me? And I am the great I am right before you. Could it be that the God you are waiting for to show up in your life has been sitting next to you all along and you didn't recognize him? That you missed him? You just thought he was some guy in a t-shirt playing for the street people and he was the world-renowned greatest musician of all time. And in his symphony, he has great, great things for you. You wouldn't be the first person to miss it. In fact, you would be with the masses who would miss who he is. I believe today, just like in the garden in that 11th hour, at the end of our time this morning, Jesus has great encouragement and teaching for us to remind us That we see Almighty God when we see Him. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. The very Spirit of God that lives in us is the very God who created the heavens and the earth. And when we get that right, who He is and who He is to us, it answers so many other questions. In a moment, we're going to pray together. But I believe today that God has a deep truth for someone here. It may not come in a spiritual goosebump this morning. Maybe it will. I don't know. But I know that it's the Word of God and it's all powerful. So I give you full permission. All the things that I've said today and the massive words that I have spoken, you just dismiss them. But don't dismiss the Word of God. For He asks you directly, Who do you say that I am today? We have a response to give. Not just in our thinking. What we speak and what we do. How we trust and how we live. Will determine our answer. Father, I thank you for your rich presence in our community this last week and today. You are alive. You are moving and doing tremendous things in and through us. But Lord, we confess we don't want to be a people who see you at one moment and then we get distracted and miss you the next. So Lord, I thank you that you love us so much that you grab our chin, you turn our face to you, and you challenge us to hear the message of the songwriter who said, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his glorious face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim when we see His glory and grace. 
Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters today who are facing many, many things. Some carrying battles and burdens deep in their heart. Others in a moment of just plain dryness. I pray that we will see who you are and answer the question of who you are to us. I pray that you bring encouragement to our soul. Father, it's in your Son's precious name that we pray these things. Let it be so. Amen and amen. Church, may God bless you today. As you take off and you may have time with family, friends, resting, all the things that are on your docket, I want to challenge you. Let this question go with you. Who do you right now say that Jesus is? Maybe it's a question you want to ask some family members you haven't seen in a long time. Who do you say that Jesus is? This is his word to us. I believe he wants to start a conversation, not end one this morning. He wants to start one with you for this week. Dialogue with him. God bless you. You're dismissed. Go in obedience. Answer his question this week. God bless you.